You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, I would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you doing? Good morning, Kathy. I'm keeping well and yourself. I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. Did you have a good weekend? Yes, I did. Flew by. Very busy, but uh, had a, a restful time at the same time, so... Well, then that's successful. If it's a restful, you can be successful. Sometimes we don't always have to accomplish things, right? Yes, that's true. That's Some, true. Sometimes accomplishing nothing is a, an accomplishment in and of itself. That's true. Very true. <laughs> a lot of time that, you know, obviously there's a lot that goes on during the week and it's good that we all get an opportunity to wind down and refocus on what's important. We have to take that opportunity too. That's, that's half the battle, right? It's taking that opportunity to, to take some downtime. And with the weather being so beautiful, you know, go for a walk at the very least, get out, smell nature. Watch the wonderful leaves change. By the time this show goes on there, the leaves may be off the trees altogether. But anyways, right now, we have to deal with the right now, right? We have to deal with the here and now, and it's been beautiful. Today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. And do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions, if you have any guest suggestions, anything that uh, you would like to get across to us. We always love to hear from you. And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all of your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasley.com. So, Alex, today I thought would be a good day to talk about the transitioning of seasons and how we can change what we eat and in this case what we drink to help warm us as we get through into the fall and winter months and what I'm talking about really specifically is tea and tea has you know different teas have different health benefits and properties and polyphenols and antioxidants but what I want to talk about here is that certain teas even if they're warm to the touch, will cool you, and certain teas will warm you. So if you are chilled, there are certain teas that will help warm you to the core, whereas other teas aren't as warming. In fact, they're, they're more cooling for your body. And th- interesting. it um, is interesting. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not much of a tea or coffee drinker, so I, 
I would just make the assumption that uh, it would just warm me up. But please carry on. Continue. <laughs> um, so this is according to, this isn't, uh, you know, according to Kathy. This is according to long, long tradition of uh, TCM, which is uh, traditional Chinese medicine. It's actually the nature of the tea that determines if it's warming or cooling for you. Tea, in, in traditional Chinese medicine, food is divided roughly into four natures. You can extend it to five, like a cold and a cool, but we're going to talk about roughly four different natures. So cool, neutral, warm, and hot. And, you know, these tend to coincide with the four seasons, especially here in Canada. So cold or cooling foods and teas will... They, they work on the body to decrease the warmth and warming teas and foods increase the warmth and neutral foods are considered as a, a balancer. So they don't really affect internal temperature. So when we're talking about tea and when to drink tea according to its warming and cooling effect on our body, it's all about the color. So, Teas that are warming are darker in nature. And the reason for this, well, all teas come from the, the same plant, the camellia, I always say this wrong, the camellia sinensis. And they all come from, these are true teas, not the herbal teas. They all come from the same plant. And what differentiates each tea is the oxidation period. So the more oxidized the tea is, the darker the color and the warmer it is in, in our body. So the more warming nature that it has. Interesting, eh? Yeah. So teas like, you know, the true black, uh, black tea, uh, chai teas, which are a blend of black tea and other warming spices, puree or black tea, oolong teas. These are more warming, whereas lighter teas, like white teas and green teas, which aren't oxidized as much, are more cooling in nature. Isn't that interesting? I, I found that very interesting. I did not know that. So, and, and then when we, you know, people would say, well, then, okay, what, what happens when you get into, you know, the herb-based teas, the plant-based, um, the, the herbal teas, and like the, the, um, the jasmine teas, the, the cinnamon teas, things like that. Um, what determines the warming or cooling effect of herbal teas is, where the tea is derived from. So uh, a tea like a ginger tea is warming for the body. So very interesting. And it, it not only um, season to season, but throughout the day, you know, maybe in the morning you want more of a, a cooling tea for the body as you're going towards you know, the end of day and into evening. You might want a warming tea, vice versa, depending on the temperature of the house. So in our house in the summertime, it was, you know, it was like the three levels of our house. The basement was freezing, so down there you'd want a warming tea. The, the main level was kind of cool, so a bit more of a warming tea as well. And then upstairs it was really hot, so a cooling tea to be upstairs in our, in our house in the summertime. So I found it really interesting, and I thought, you know, as we transition into the cooler months, to give you a little bit of a leg up on which teas to buy as we're getting into the winter months, so you want the darker teas. Yes, thank you, Kathy. You are so very welcome. 
Very, very wonderful guest today. Our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Redcross, and he is a board-certified practicing physician who uses nutrition as an important component of his internal medicine practice. He completed his medical training at the prestigious Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center and has practiced at the renowned Cedar-Sinai Medical Center in Beverly Hills. Dr. Red Cross is an MD and author of Bond, The Four Cornerstones of a Lasting and Caring Relationship with Your Doctor, and he runs his own concierge personalized medical practice designed to enhance the patient-doctor relationship while providing convenient access to a full spectrum of healthcare services and holistic wellness counseling. So he joins us today to discuss many things. Uh, tops of the list on the list are Theories why COVID-19 might be affecting more African-Americans than any other population. Recommended health changes that can help disproportionately affected communities. And why vitamin D is so important to in, in the coronavirus conversation. So we will be back in a few minutes to talk to Dr. Red Cross. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, Oh, right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. Jesus, I will cling to 
You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show is being taped, so no opportunity. I'm sorry for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Dr. Red Cross, thank you for joining us. I just can't wait for um, our listeners to meet you. Oh, thank you, Kathy. It is wonderful to be here with everyone today. This is a a very special discussion that we're going to have today, Kathy. So I once again want to thank you for having me on. Uh, Simply my pleasure. Before we get into um, COVID-19 and and what Mm -hmm. the the bulk of what we're going to talk about today is, can you explain to us, you know, concierge medicine? Because this this is not something that many of us are familiar with, at least these days. Yeah, so look, everyone, so concierge medicine has, has been an absolute blessing for, for me and so many of my patients. If you think about a concierge at a hotel, a concierge is there to help you with whatever you need and whenever you need it. Um, and should have some information for you as well. And that's exactly what a concierge physician is. I always tell patients that a doctor should feel like, or your doctor should feel like a member of your family. And concierge medicine allows me to do just that because I'm able to provide access convenience and also time that the patient needs to really get to what I like to say more healing or getting into the soul of the patient, Kathy. And so that's what concierge medicine everyone is. It's very personalized healthcare. How many concierge doctors are there in in New York and in, in, in the United States in general? Because you're the first that I've come across. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. You know, there's now some kind of groups that uh, kind of tout themselves as concierge groups. So there wasn't many of us when I started back in 2007, um, when once again, I was a little frustrated with the healthcare system and frustrated with what I felt patients were getting as far as, as my attention and my care. And so since then, there's kind of been a little bit of a boom in some of the areas you would expect, such as Los Angeles, um, um, out in California, and also here in New York and down in Florida where you have an older population. 
So it's growing slowly um, to where patients are demanding more. But even still, you know, in my practice, I'm an independent physician. I still make house calls. That's the base of my practice. I'm mobile. Um, so once again, there's a big, big push, I think, for patients saying, you know what, I, I, deserve, I deserve more. Um, and I agree. I agree with patients on that. So you're out there, um, I'm assuming, or uh, maybe incorrectly assuming, that the pandemic has, has limited you to the people that you are seeing, or are you able to continue on? Because you really, uh, visiting patients, going home to home, you must really mm-hmm. see frontline some of the issues beyond the disease that are coming forth. No, you're, you're right, Kathy. It was, it was just the opposite. You're right. Actually, I got very, very busy, especially around March when the coronavirus hit my home, well, not my, my, the town that I live in, everyone. We were the epicenter here in the United States in New Rochelle. And so what started to happen is I got even more house calls because people were afraid to go to the hospital because when you went to the hospital, they felt it was a, it was a death sentence. Or mm-hmm. if you went to the hospital, you couldn't have any family members with you, everyone. So unfortunately, I had some patients who would go to the hospital and they were by themselves or some mm-hmm. that, that, that lost their lives by themselves. Some very, very sad stories. But I was able to kind of go in home to home and do the best I could during this particular pandemic that we're still kind of saddled with. Um, so I would go in almost like a hazmat uh, person here, mm-hmm. Kathy. You know, I had a gown and I had, had glasses and goggles and things on my feet. And so it was an interesting sight to walk through New York City like that. But then again, if there's any place that's used to some, some different looks, it'd be New York. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was very, very busy. You know, thank God things have, it, you know, we still have some patients who have the um, coronavirus, but much, much better here in New York. To where I haven't had to make any of those sort of house calls in some time now. As a frontline, deep in the COVID pandemic physician, I'm sure that things have been brought to light um, because, of, because of this disease or the virus. In your opinion, how has COVID-19 brought to light the racial disparities in your healthcare system? Oh gosh! So this is um this has been a really big challenge, everyone. Look, you know what's interesting is that throughout my training, I've been in practice for about twenty years now, and we've always kind of known about the healthcare disparities. But I don't think that there's been a disease state like the coronavirus that has really shown a really big light on the differences here. When you look at the numbers of the coronavirus, the deaths. When you look at African Americans in particular, it's about eighty-eight deaths per hundred thousand. When you look at Caucasian Americans, it's about 40. So it's about half of that. So there's a two-time higher mortality rate in the African-American population. So when you sit back and say, well, well, why is that? Well, you look at the three or four disease states that are mentioned, Kathy, such as, as far as on the CDC website, to where the coronavirus is really doing a number, and it's those with heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, obesity. So these are some major challenges in the African-American and Latino population in particular. But when you do a deeper dive, Kathy, you also see that vitamin D levels are low in those disease states as well. And an even deeper dive than that, African-Americans, about 80% of African-Americans are also low in vitamin D as well. And as we learn about vitamin D's importance in the immune system, it starts to allow us to do a little bit more thinking, Kathy, to say, well, are we missing something to the piece of the puzzle of why it's affecting African-Americans and Latinos so much more than Caucasian-Americans? 
Is it, um, you know, I, I think that people might look at this superficially and say it's genetics, but mm-hmm. it goes much deeper um, than that, doesn't it? For instance, why, it why are there these comorbidities? Why is it, is it because they, of these comorbidities that this population or these populations are suffering so much? And if so, following yeah. up to that, why more comorbidities? So you're absolutely right. And so with people who are maybe listening and have a little skepticism as to, you're right, everyone. It's not, actually, it's not a genetic component. Let's dig even further into what the socioeconomic issues are with this particular population. For instance, number one, access. Access to healthcare is extremely poor in some of these neighborhoods that where they can't get as many doctors. Or I had patients that were calling me because their doctors' phones weren't even working during the um, during this pandemic. And then you look at some of the occupational hazards. You know, when you're also seeing here in the United States is that you're seeing an increased risk for African American children dying from the coronavirus as well. And why is that? Well, about 20% of African Americans have jobs that can actually telecommute. So, in other words, Kathy, they're out there working in the front lines and they're coming back home. And that's how these kids are getting exposed. And then you look at the income inequality. And then you look at the housing issues, everyone, because social distancing is a luxury when you're talking about some of these Mm -hmm. underserved areas. So, yeah, it's much more than genetics at play here. It's all of these things that we're talking about socioeconomically. And the fact that vitamin D we're also learning is very important to our immune system. Now, vitamin D is not going to end up being this cure-all for the coronavirus. No, no but it's gonna be really important to help us boost our immune system and really make a difference as we fight not only viruses such as the coronavirus, but influenza, which is on its way soon as well. I, I've, you know, I, I try to be a person that looks at all sides of this and I, I want your opinion on this. Will one of the underlying themes of this disease, of this virus, as we look back on time with the lockdowns, with uh, people losing their jobs, be this social impact and mental impact that we're not even really beginning to talk about right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it will. Look, this is a tough discussion, everyone. Well, over here in the United States, there's such a discussion now about racial inclusion about um, being able to step up to the plate and talk about this very, very difficult topic, which, as you know, in the United States has been very deep-seated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of skepticism from the minorities here in particular. There were, there were experiments done on African Americans in the 30s that extended all the way to 1972, everyone, which isn't so long ago. That's around the, the age I was born in, so it wasn't that long ago where some of that the experimentation happened. It's still kind of um, is, is pervasive in a sense through the African-American community and, and Latino communities as well. Um, so you're right. You're right, Kathy. This is, this is not going to be a problem that is solved today. It's not going to be solved even as the coronavirus goes. But you know what? For the first time, probably in my lifetime, everyone's decided to at least step up to the plate and at least acknowledge and face it head on. <laughs> even if people don't agree, Kathy, everyone can agree. Um, but at least we're having a discussion around it. And maybe some people out there are saying, you know, I didn't really understand there was kind of health disparities in certain areas. I didn't think about housing being a big deal or a big problem or access to health care because I can pick up the phone and call my doctor whenever mm-hmm. I want to. 
that's not the, the normal life for, for most people, especially in these underserved areas. And truth be told, it was through the grace of interviewing guests and other guests like yourselves that, you know, I found I was very ignorant. And I think one of the things that you said that I have said in conversations with my own family members is, at the very least, people say, what can I do? I can't do anything. You can keep or start a conversation about this because we need to learn. And you're right. Our opinions are all going to be varied. No one's going to land. This is, you know, opinions make a market. But the conversation needs to be there. What, you know, generally speaking, what are your black patients most skeptical of compared to your white patients when it comes to COVID-19? Well, like I said, everyone, if you go back into the history, I'll, I'll tell you one quick, um, the, the bigger one in our community. It's called the Tuskegee Experiment. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Kathy, but this I'm is not. an experiment. Okay, so this is an experiment, everyone, that was following what we call in medicine the natural history of syphilis. So in other words, these people, these men had had syphilis diagnosed, and they were going to watch what happens with syphilis. Now, the challenge there is even though that was like towards the end of the 30s where they were watching these men, up until that time, and as I told you, it was supposed to only be a six-month trial. Not only did it last six months, but if you do the math, it lasted almost 20 to 30 years. And during that time, Kathy, there was a treatment for syphilis. Penicillin was invented, but it wasn't offered, and they didn't know it was offered. So therefore, you have this experiment going on, this group of African-American males who could have been treated and cured why a lot of them would die of this disease because syphilis untreated can typically result in death. And so when you're talking about that kind of mistrust, you may say, well, well, Dr. Red Cross, that's 1972. It is, but you know what, everyone, it gets passed on from generation to generation to say, you know, I don't know about this vaccine, this coronavirus vaccine thing. What if they're putting something in it? Or what if, I mean, that sort of thing gets fostered and there's an education piece to that. But more importantly, there's also a trust piece to that that has to be sort of earned back and to be discussed. So that gets back to what you're saying, that there is a discussion to be had there. And that Tuskegee experiment is just one of the bigger ones. There's a lot of other ones that are out there as well, as to the way African-American patients in particular were maybe not offered pain medication during GYN procedures to see how they responded to pain. I mean, so these sort of things, as horrible as they are, everyone, and they're horrible to talk about, that discussion is kind of needs to be had to kind of understand where we are now. When it comes to skepticism as far as the coronavirus, are you not seeing any skepticism with your white patients as well? Um, as far as know, the vaccine and things question. like that. Have, yeah, you know what? That's a great question, Kathy, because I hadn't thought about it directly to, to my white patients because honestly, everyone, I, I say my whole goal is to get into the soul of each and every patient. So <laughs> even though I am African-American background and, and, and some Native American descent as well, it doesn't matter. But one thing I have seen in my patients who are, are Caucasian, they are not necessarily obviously skeptical for the same reasons as to what will happen to them as if there's some sort of experiment going on. But they're skeptical of the political ramifications, the mm -hmm. safety of the vaccine. Is it being rammed in for this next month and a half that's left? Or is it going to be one that's going to be safe for me and my loved ones to take? Um, so that's a, it's an interesting question that you bring up because there's a different sort of reason why the vaccine is being somewhat um, kind of belabored a bit by different, uh, by different ethnic groups. 
Mm-hmm. And social media doesn't help with that. Um, let's get, you know, just the pra- your practice in general. Are you, um, are you mainly servicing black patients or are you uh, extremely diverse in oh, your, no. your patient list? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's an, another blessing. So look, everyone. So I trained here at Columbia, here in, uh, here in New York, like I said, 20 years ago. When I left here, I went out to California, and for four years, I worked with migrant Mexican farm workers in the strawberry fields. Um, and then I also worked in Puerto Rico in El Junque in the rainforest. So once again, that's a different population. While I was out there, that's when I then transitioned to Beverly Hills, where I started my concierge practice in 2007. So I shared that with you, everyone, just to kind of see. And I ran a practice here in, in Harlem, New York as well. So I shared that to show where I've been with African-American patients and Latino patients and Caucasian patients and those who are underserved and then those who are wealthy. So I have been beyond blessed to be able to include everyone under my tent and umbrella. And my practice uh, really actually shows that exact same sort of diversity throughout, Kathy. So um, it's, it's interesting in that I, I've been able to kind of uh, keep it um, very much like New York, a melting pot in my practice. Mm-hmm. When you are speaking with, you know, you, you, talk, you talk, spoke about um, some of the skepticism within the black community. Do you speak differently to the different socioeconomic groups or people that you are working with? And do you think that the other doctors should be talking differently to people in the African or the black community, the the Latino community. Is there a way that you Mm -hmm, talk mm -hmm. amongst your different um, socioeconomic patient groups? You know, what what I typically do is I always have the same message for patients, but when I'm talking to an African-American or Latino patient, I'm a little more mindful, everyone. And by that, I mean, there's not a secret sauce or there's nothing that's different than what I tell my, my uh, white patients. What it is is that I'm able to talk to an African-American person and know some of the things that are offered in our diets that we kind of grow up with that probably aren't the best things. When I was able to spend the time with a lot of my Latino patients in their community, once again, I, I can have that discussion and say, look, I know this dish is a tough one. It's great, but it's horrible for you. So I can have that discussion sort of thing. So it's more of a mindfulness with certain things, everyone, but not different in the way that I deliver care, that I deliver um, um, love and healing. No, that stuff doesn't change, but definitely a little more mindful of some of the challenges to kind of pick things out of your diet that we shouldn't do and make sure that we're putting a little more exercise in that we may not have grown up around or have seen that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, I think it's important, you know, there's not really a one size fits all, but the, the blessing, at least in medicine, is that medicine is medicine, the regardless, all the other things are the things that I, I kind of talk about in, in a book that I wrote, because it's important for that patient doctor bond. So it gets back to trust, respect, empathy, and communication. And that's for everyone, Kathy, no matter, you know, what side of the aisle they're on or how much melanin they have in their skin or don't. That stuff is just being a good human being. When I think of your practice, and you're, you're not an older gentleman, so I, I, but I, I think of you going <laughs> generationally, like being with a family, um, a grandparent, parent, right. child. Is that how your, your practice is evolving? 
Because it's a beautiful get to know people like that. You know, when you can, not only just for medicine, but just, you know, to have that familiarity. Yeah, it's great to know the history of grandma and grandpa and then mom and dad and child. But just people are afraid sometimes of the doctor. And I think that um, having someone like you in in their corner is, it it, it brings, it, it takes away the fear. It takes away the fear. And I think that that is a, a wonderful thing that you are, are really trying to cultivate. Are you seeing multi-generations within a family or have you been yet? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you're right. It's a lot deeper than the medicine, everyone. It's, it's that peace of mind that I want to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just for the direct patient. It's for their parents and even their grandparents and some people. So you're right. It's a peace of mind. And then I love the empowerment portion of what we're talking about today, which we're talking about the coronavirus, as we'll later mention vitamin D and its importance, which is not a Western medicine and realizing that I can kind of have both of those discussions because my whole goal, Kathy, is not to have to pull out my prescription pad. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. to stay closer to the earth. And so we can have that discussion. So you're right. It has allowed to have not only multi-generational, but I have patients around the U.S. who I just provide consultation. So they go see their doctor and I have what I call strategic advice. So they see their doctor or they're on their way and they want to know, doc, what sort of questions should I ask? What -hmm. should I ask to get this done? These results were given back to me. What do you think about them? Is there anything I should ask or can you explain them a little bit? So it allows me to to have a lot of touch points around the U.S. And even in Canada, um, I was doing that as well with a patient out in um, Quebec. Um, And so it allows me to, once again, touch as many souls as possible um, to give peace of mind, empowerment, and, and hopefully happiness. Well, I think it's a beautiful thing when you can have a discussion with your doctor about uh, your own personal health care and give your opinions and maybe can we try this as opposed to being told what to do. And I think that this is exactly what we're trying to equip people with, the conversation, the ability to ask the right questions, but we do need at the other end a doctor who is willing to sit down and receive those questions and and have respect yeah. with their patients. And I think it, it's wonderful what you're doing. We're going to take a quick break here, everybody, and we'll be right back to talk with Dr. Red Cross.
But at first they disappeared Just like your friends did to you Oh Lord, but you were there You gave me strength So this little one might come to know The glory of your name Your name You fought the fight in me You chased me down and finished the race I was blind but now I see Jesus you kept the faith in me I waited and set apart like incense to your ambition I'm pouring out empty and You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Kenneth Redcross. Dr. Red Cross, vitamin D, you've brought up a few times here. We've kind of skirted mm-hmm. the issue, but vitamin D, nutrition, these are all things that are coming out as um, in your corner being extremely important as one of the, the, the battling areas for the coronavirus. Why is that so? 
Well, look, guys, so as we're learning more about vitamin D, you know, we have to do a little bit of, of history as we grew up as kids, right? We always, you know, learn that vitamin D is in milk and it makes our bones strong. But now there's a much deeper story about the importance of vitamin D. It's not so much about the, bo the bones, it's about our immune health and how it can help us benefit when we're dealing with the, the, the coronavirus or any other viruses that are out there. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that I honestly, my big goal here, everyone, is that I want each and every one out there to know your vitamin D level. So my vitamin D level is 65, and I've been joking around with patients and telling them to get on my level. And the level <laughs> that I want everyone out there on is between 40 and 60. Now, why do I say that? Because that is where the magic kind of happens of what vitamin D can do for us. Now, there's a, a couple of ways you can actually get your vitamin D checked. And this is the other great part of what we're talking about. So you can go to your doctor's office and let them know, hey, I heard this doctor talking about vitamin D. Can I get mine checked? If you're able to do that and you have that access we talked about, that is great. Or you can also go to a website, which is called thepowerofd.org. The reason why I mentioned that website is I love the fact that there's a couple of important things on their website. Number one, they have an ability for you to order an at-home test kit. So you have it delivered to you, which is very concierge um, kind of what I do, Kathy. And so <laughs> you get that card sent home, everyone. It's a finger prick. You dab a couple of drops of blood on the card and you send it. Now, when you get your results by, back, which is even better, you can actually put those results into the calculator and it'll you much you should actually take. And even if you go to your doctor's office, you can still put your number into that powerofd.org calculator and see how much vitamin D you should actually take. Now, as we talk about vitamin D for the immune health, there's tons of other studies out there. There's studies that show that if your vitamin D is less than 20, you're more um, associated with getting poor sleep. It's also been shown if your levels are optimal, usually above in the upper 30s, you have less upper respiratory infections. Also been shown to help as far as insulin resistance, which obviously is important for diabetics. And so it's just important that we start to understand that vitamin D is a lot deeper than just bone health going forward for all of us. How does it work into the coronavirus um, conversation? Well, because one of the things that we've seen with the disease states that we mentioned earlier with uh, diabetes, lung disease, heart disease, obesity, all of those also affect our immune system. And so that's why it's important that the vitamin D levels are up to make sure that that immune system is kind of ready for battle in a sense. And that's how it actually works. You know, to get even deeper science wise, the researchers have found that it appears that the coronavirus would latch on to a receptor a very important receptor for us, everyone, that helps with our blood pressure and maintenance of that. And so when that particular virus latches onto there to enter the cells of those that it infects, it causes a really big problem of what you'll hear as a cytokine storm. Those cytokines, everyone, are just kind of some immune uh, receptors that are out there that just go haywire and cause a lot of inflammation and clotting and those sort of things. And that's what our body does not want. So once again, what kind of controls those cytokines? What controls that response? Vitamin D. Vitamin D is a supportive um, element of the immune system. So that's why we don't talk about it for treating COVID. We talk about that for helping to support our immune system to be able to battle 
that sort of that sort of infection, including influenza that's on its way as well. There was even a study that I saw just before coming on actually today, Kathleen. It said nearly one in four of COVID nineteen patients were found to have less than optimal vitamin D levels. So we're putting the pieces of this puzzle together. And even today, there was new data that I saw that came out. So it's a great story. Vitamin D is inexpensive, easy to take. And once again, it is something that can make a really, really big difference in our lives for everyone close to us. I know you're a doctor that likes to talk about systems and the whole body and how it works together. And you're talking about vitamin D deficiency for people who've had coronavirus. Vitamin D deficiency uh, is a you know, is, is in play for many people that are diseased, many right. types of cancers, people are, yes, exactly. are vitamin D deficient. So this is a vitamin. Now this plays differently like a vitamin C where we can get really, if we really tried hard, all we want from food. So right. if someone says to you, listen, I eat well, I've got a good diet. Um, I go out in the sun. How can I possibly be low on vitamin D? What can you say to them? Oh, gosh. All right. So this gets back to that question you asked some time ago. What are some things I would say different than an African-American patient than in a Caucasian patient? Well, number one, if there's an African-American sitting in front of me right now, I say, well, one of the reasons why we have this issue is because we have melanin in our skin and melanin blocks out the sun's rays. So that's the reason why African-Americans, about 80 percent of us will be lower in our vitamin D. And then if I go over and I talk to my Caucasian patients, there's a couple of different things that we can discuss. Like number one, it may not be a melanin issue, but what kind of work do you do? Are you working inside? How much vitamin D or I'm sorry, how much sunlight are you actually getting throughout your day? What kind of diet do you have? Because whether black or white here, there's something else that unites us. And the vitamin D is not particularly rich normally in our diets, everyone. If you're eating like fatty fish livers or getting it that way, that was the reason why Grandma used to always chase us around with cod liver oil. She is a genius. And the reason why she did that is that cod liver oil is loaded with vitamin D. So to that point, in other words, it's not easy to get it out of your diet. So vitamin D is something that you have to supplement. You have to supplement it and you want to make sure it has the key cofactors like magnesium, K2. These are the things you may see on some of the bottles to say, yeah, this makes sense. These are the cofactors they make sure that vitamin D gets into our DNA. When you look at the studies, the studies will show that vitamin D really affects up to 2,000 genes in our bodies. So it's that important that once again, this story is coming, um, but that's why it's important to supplement it because like I told you before, my goal is not to have to pull out my prescription pad, but with something like vitamin D and its importance and its difficulty for us in our diet, that's something that we have to supplement each and every day. And even I do that even for my, for my twins. I have twin boy girls, and, and they know the importance of the story as well. Um, now, you talked about insufficiency in vitamin D being in the right range. Um, it's not recommended to go willy-nilly and supplement 10,000 without your um, uh, IUs. Uh, that's, that's my most common phraseology or terminology for the, the measurement. Um, it's, it's not, you're not telling everyone just to go out and hog wild supplement on this because there can be issues if, if you have too much vitamin D in your system, right? Yeah, they can. And, you know, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of interesting things there. So you're right. So that's why when I talk to my patients, I usually talk about 5,000 international units. And because mm -hmm. when I see that, Kathy, when I look at the blood test, they typically are in that range at the 5,000. Now, my skin is more brown. 
So as I was checking my levels at 5,000, it was still very low in the 20s and 30s. Now I take 10,000 units a day, and that keeps me at that 65 that I told you all about. But the point is this. I was able to check my vitamin D levels. Mm -hmm. I did it two ways. I went to my physician as well, and I went to the powerofd.org, and I ordered a test kit to kind of compare the two, and they were both spot on. So you're right. You don't just go out willy-nilly and take any supplement um, without letting your doctor know and without having some measurement around it. It's something that's going to be really important. And plus, there's a whole bunch of education around it as well. You know, make it a challenge. Make it a challenge within the house to say, you know, I want everyone to get on my level and have fun with health. That's the thing that I think is going to keep us involved. I know genetics plays a role in the absorption of vitamin D, too, does it not? It does. And, and the thing is, and that's another interesting point, because you have to have those studies to see, is it really different through ethnicity, through age? We know that as we get a little bit older, everyone, our skin just does not do the best job of actually converting vitamin D through the skin to get into our, our absorption, into our circulation, I should say, rather. Um, so as we get a little older, it is a little bit tougher um, to get that vitamin D when you're out and about. The other thing um, when I'm talking to especially a lot of my uh, Caucasian patients is that it's good to go out and get some of the sun, but we have to be careful for skin cancers as well. So therefore, they're putting on sunblock, and then when you put on sunblock, guys, blocks out the rays again. So vitamin D is low, which gets back to the reason to once again having to supplement vitamin D and getting the word out to everyone close to you to say, you know, let me get on this vitamin D and see what my levels are and see how I feel. A lot of people talk about a sense of well-being when their vitamin D levels are optimal and that sort of thing. So just an important, um, just an important thing to kind of add um, to your list of things you should be taking as we're coming into the uh, cold and flu season. And I assume it's different for people who are in warm weather versus, uh, well, you're in New York, I'm here in Ontario. We have four different seasons. We have the sunshine that's right. abundant in the summer and um, not as abundant in the winter. So do you recommend a steady level or do you recommend, say, testing your D levels once or maybe two, three times a year? Does that matter? Yeah, actually, I talk about twice a year, actually. Twice it's a year. great that you mentioned that. I always talk about twice, and especially before the season. Like, I just had mine done two weeks ago um, because now it's just flu season. I want to make sure. So I go with the steady states. That's what you want to, to make sure. And you're right. The studies typically show a little bit further away from the equator. Obviously, your vitamin D levels are low because the sun isn't as intense. And in the Northeast, we get bombarded. And even over there in Ontario and in your part of the world that I'm mm -hmm. familiar with as well, very similar as far as climates and sun and that sort of thing. Yeah, so it's important to get them tested. Do you recommend a particular form? So um, I find that the drops are easier for, um, for me. I just put them on mm -hmm. the back of my hand and, and lick them. But is there a particular form that you recommend, pill versus a liquid form? It doesn't matter. No, no, it doesn't, everyone. I just want to make sure you get a good, high-quality, whole food, in a sense, type of vitamin D. And so that's at stores, whether it be Sprouts or Whole Foods, any of those places, everyone, that's kind of been vetted. Like I mentioned before, you know, when you have your vitamin D formula, it would be ideal if there's magnesium in that formula. Magnesium is important for so many things. Magnesium helps us for energy, ATP, that we all may remember in our health class. Um, but the point is, is that not only is magnesium important for energy, it's also, once again, a nice kind of uh, helper of a good night's sleep as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so magnesium is important. K2, I mentioned earlier, is a, is a form of vitamin K that helps to kind of keep the, the vitamin D uh, where it's going in the bloodstream and not in the walls uh, of the arteries with other disease states and inflammation, I should say, rather. So, you know, you want to make sure you have a good quality vetted vitamin D. But yeah, you know, like you said, drops are good for you. I'm just happy, so happy you're taking it, Kathy. So (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take that. (laughs) And I I know that nutrition is also a big part of what you talk about. And we we certainly don't need to, to go heavy and deep into the conversion process of vitamin D. But I think maybe um, it is worthwhile saying that vitamin D does need to be converted and it does rely on a body process and certain key organs and systems. So are you also talking about nutrition to help with the conversion and absorption of vitamin D? Well, yeah. Well, look, nutrition is important for all of those things, guys. Look, as I'm talking about nutrition, I always focus on the three kind of macros, which are going to be your your fats, your protein, and your carbohydrates, and balancing those throughout the day because you're right. Look, our bodies, guys, are just this beautiful machine that's just been given to us by, by, by the creator, whoever you believe in. <laughs> but the point is, is that it is amazing that this machine works each and every day. When I mentioned magnesium before, magnesium is important for the heartbeat. Our heart beats 100,000 times a day, it's been said. So when you look at that, all of that's nutrition. All of that is nutrition that we're kind of keeping this convertible of our bodies on the road and going down the street and staying well and, and not needing a repairman or woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're thinking of vitamin D, keep in mind it affects 36 organs. There's vitamin D receptors in all of these locations. You have a vitamin D receptor even in the brain, which is the reason why I thought, Kathy, that patients, when they tell me that they have this sense of well-being or when their vitamin D levels look, kind of makes sense with the receptor in the brain that there's a reason that we're taking the vitamin D. So, yeah, you're right. So when we're thinking about what we're putting into our bodies, really think about your body as a, as a machine, and it's going to be very important. Um, when you're getting your vitamin D and that you have these cofactors in your either in that supplement or at least in your diet going going forward. Well, I think the word is is starting to land on on ears that are receptive to your message because recently I have had a lot of people that I work with having coming and telling me that their doctors are recommending that they take vitamin D, that they get nice. their levels checked. So it is starting to come, you know, you've been beating that, that uh, drum good and hard, Dr. Red Cross. Right. And I do <laughs> right. think that people are, are listening, but you know, you're a fabulous person, a fabulous human being doing fabulous work and you've got great information and a lot to say and a lot that you can share with people. Where can we get more information about you and perhaps um, things that you are affiliated with that you'd like people to reach out and take a look at? Oh, sure. So everyone, my, my website is drkenredcross.com, just like the American Red Cross. Um, and you can reach me on any of the social media handles, whether that be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's Ken Red Cross MD. And I really mean it. Reach out, say hello, ask questions. And to find out more about vitamin D, that's a different site. That's the powerofd.org. And that's where they, the Organic and Natural Health Association set up a beautiful website to educate, to provide a, um, the ability to order an at-home test kit, and also calculate your levels. So 
I, I hope to meet a lot of you out there to say hello. And once again, stay healthy going forward and stay, stay blessed and well throughout this uh, pandemic. Well, I know that uh, I will be reaching out and keeping in contact with you. I believe in your message, and I full-heartedly believe in what you're doing. So thank you for taking the time to join us. It's been a true pleasure to speak with you and to meet you. And uh, everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.